If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 11 as we continue on in our series. The time for truth is now, and it is no secret that Romans chapter 11, probably kind of like Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10, are all difficult chapters, but we are thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit for our gathering together to hear the preaching of the Word of God, that we are learning and growing together in this text. Welcome, welcome. We are just a couple days away from an opportunity for everything to stop and us just to give thanks, just give thanks. We have so much. You have so much to be thankful for. Just think about our gathering, the freedoms that we have to gather like this, the means by which we can gather, the mobility somehow you got from point A to point B this morning, the, the place that we have to gather. There is common grace all around us. Yeah, but the price of gasoline right now is really, really scary. But we have God's grace. Yeah, but the price of peanut butter, have you checked it out recently? Like, it's, it's skyrocketing. This week, okay, this is our goal. Before we pray, before we get in the text, this is our goal this week. No, yeah, but. It's not allowed. God's amazing grace is surrounding us. His mercies are new every day. Yeah, but those polit like there's there's politicians that they don't believe like like we believe. No, yeah, buts. Okay, it is it is just praise. It is just thanksgiving for God's goodness, God's grace, God's love, God's patience that surrounds us. Hold on to that thought. No, yeah, buts. Okay, so you'll catch one another. No, 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 no. Remember that this week. We have so much to be thankful for. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word and express our thanks to him. Father, we love you. We are amazed in your grace that you allowed us one more day. Just as Pastor Stewart reminded us that, that our hearts are beating. And Lord, may our hearts be beat for you, for other people, not, not for ourselves. May we be reminded this week as we pause to give thanks that every good thing comes from the Father above. We are breathless and speechless when it comes to your goodness. Father, please, Guide our time together right now. May your spirit speak through the preaching of your word. And may you be glorified. Please help me as I desperately need your help this morning. I pray, Lord, for those that are not here with us, that perhaps are not able to join us. And I pray, Lord, that you'd minister to them in a special way. Draw them close. Remind them of your love. I pray, Lord, for those that are not here that could be here and should be here. That they right now would hear the presence of your Spirit convicting them that they are missing out 
on the fellowship and the worship of gathered believers. Speak. Please, Lord, speak, and may we hear you. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So much to be thankful for, and yet at some level, there's a part of us that automatically goes to what? In, in the darkness of this world. What I want to draw our, our attention to this morning is that in, in the darkness, it's the gospel that brings light. In a world around us where there is destruction, where there is deceit, disease, where there is dissension, in a world where there is death, it is, it is the gospel that brings life to us. It is only through God's loving, sovereign grace that there is what? That there is good news in a bad news world. And so today in our text, what we're going to see is this. We're going to see light from darkness. We're going to see, in a sense, reconciliation that comes as a result of rejection. As the gospel, the good news goes, goes global. Romans chapter 11, we pick it up in verse 11, a short text just through verse 15. I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. The words will be up in front of you. Romans chapter 11, verse 11, the word of the Lord. So I ask, did, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life? From the dead. Last week I introduced to you Romans chapter 11, a key chapter for understanding what a subset of systematic theology is eschatology. Romans chapter 11 is key for understanding the future events of the world and what specifically in this chapter, the, the future of Israel. So this chapter deals particularly to this nation, to this people. Now, just by way of a note and a reminder, when I refer to the word Israel, I'm not talking just a slice of land the size of New Jersey, okay, the population of Indiana in the Middle East on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Rather, when, I, when I'm referring to this nation, Israel, I'm referring to 14.7 million Jewish people worldwide whom every single one of us have got to admit. Why, why is it that this people group seems to be so hated across the world? 
We've got to admit that there has been unusual, we could say unprecedented hatred towards them and hardship that they have faced. And yet for some reason, this little tiny nation, this, this small, what, 0.2% of the world's population seems unusually blessed. They're brilliant. They're successful in almost every single area of life. We began this chapter by asking the question, if you go back to verse 1, has God rejected his people? By no means. In a sense, asking, is Israel's rejection total? Today, we begin by asking, is Israel's rejection final? And it's the same answer. It's expressed in verse 11, and it's expressed in verse 1. By no means. Therefore, a step away, we very easily conclude what? Israel's rejection certainly set aside momentarily. Israel's rejection is not total, and Israel's rejection is not final. And this is important because what? Because of what Paul writes on, and what many commentaries call, and I love this phrase, interlocking destinies. That's what Romans chapter 11 is about. Interlocking destinies of the Jews and what? The 99.8% of the world's population who are Gentile. Thankfully, ethnic Israel's fall does not mean that there's no hope for the future. Israel's rejection actually gives opportunity. Israel's rejection actually gives opportunity to what? The Gentiles. So here we have two things in our text. And I believe that they are most helpful. And I believe that they're most encouraging for us. Number one, it's this. There's actually a purpose for rejection. There's a purpose for rejection. Through their trespass, salvation, the word is what? Satyria, which means what? There's deliverance. Through their rejection, there's a rescue that takes place for other people. By their rejection, there is what? A preservation that takes place. One of the definitions I... I found for the word satyria in Greek is the word safe. You realize that by the rejection of the Jews, there's a safe place that is made for us. Now, it, it seems kind of hard to hear and, and even harder to accept that there is what? A purpose to rejection. But it speaks about the fact that God will not force his way. He's not going to force anyone into salvation. God doesn't twist arms, okay, and force people to their knees in submission and obedience. Instead, what we see is even when there is rejection, even when we witness rebellion and stubborn obstinance, it reveals the truth. And here's the truth. Nothing will ever stop. Nothing can ever stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. Nothing will ever stop the work of the gospel from going forward. 
You realize that? Regardless of what people say, regardless of what you hear, that you are what relegated to the back of the classroom, nothing will ever stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. Nowhere do we see this more clearer than when it comes to the Jewish people. Now we know just by way of quick review that Jewish people, right, go back to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, these, these people are chosen. God selected them from Abraham and his descendants. And a promise was going to be given that, that Israel would become the means or the conduit, I call it, of which the promised Messiah was going to be born. Just as God redeemed the, the Israelites from Egyptian bondage, a means of salvation, the Messiah is going to come to redeem all of mankind from the bondage of sin and death. Yeah, we know what happened. The Jewish people, the Israelites, replaced what? Yahweh. Tried to replace Jehovah with lowercase, little g gods. Idols. With eyes that could not see. With mouths that could not speak. They rejected the one true God. They, in a sense, tried to what? Replace the real one, and they were unfaithful in their own walk. They were unholy. They were disobedient. They disregarded the promised Messiah. So much so that after what? Jesus Christ was crucified, Peter himself preaches in Acts chapter 2. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you and he points to the Jewish elites. He points to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, he points to the religious rites whom you crucified. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's explaining the outworking of salvation, particularly focusing on Israel and its future. And he uses an illustration here or an analogy that we all get. Every single one of us can identify with it. Here it is. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you're walking through the woods. It doesn't matter if you're walking along a path or walking in a parking lot, particularly our parking lot. We've all, we've all stumbled before, right? You, 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 you don't realize that you, your foot catches a root across the path. Or a rock that, that is protruding. And you, you, you slip, you trip, you stumble, but you catch yourself. Cat-like reflexes that you have. And you are so thankful that why? You remain on your feet. And then every single one of us, every one of us can also identify with the other. What? Where you don't catch yourself. As you're running the trails and that root catches you and you, you fall face first. Or what? Flat on your back. And we know, ow! You look around and hopefully nobody sees you. And it hurts. But there's a big difference. There's a big difference between a stumble... And a fall. This is the picture that the author is drawing to help describe what happened to the Jewish people. By rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, they have stumbled. 
but they have not fallen. So I was preparing this week. I, I, I found myself, and like no commentaries, like nobody else was here. I found myself going back to a, a hot, dry wilderness. The desert of Zin. In Numbers chapter 20. And it's a text of scripture. It needs, it needs no setup. Like it's so clear and so simple. You got a bunch of people, 2.2 million people in the desert. It's hot, it's dry, they're thirsty, there's no water. Not a lot of ways, like there's no metaphor here. This is not hidden language, okay, some secret. No, it's a bunch of people that don't have any water. And it's hot, and they're thirsty. Let me, let me remind you of what it says. Let's go just briefly to the desert of Zin. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Numbers chapter 20. And the people quarreled. It's hot and dry, and they're thirsty, and now they're grumpy. I would be grumpy. They quarreled with Moses and said, well, why'd you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink! Exclamation point. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and they fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take your staff... You and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Listen very carefully. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. It's pretty clear instruction. Thirsty people, there's a rock. Moses, go with your staff, go with your brother. Speak to it. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron, he's obedient. They're together. Gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. It, it's, a, it's a pretty clear narrative. There's a need for water. People are thirsty. There's instruction that is given. Speak to the rock, Moses. There's disobedience where he doesn't speak. He's got he's to strike it. And yet what happens? Everybody drinks. All the sheep, all the cows, all the donkeys, all the little ones. Everybody gets water. There's blessing, there's grace, there's mercy that's extended, but there's also a consequence. Moses, guess what? You will not go into the land that I promised. You know, at, at some level, 
Moses isn't the only one who struggles to obey the word of the Lord. All, all of the Jewish people have struggled to obey, which is interesting, just like you and I have a hard time of obeying the careful instruction that is given from the Lord. The Israelites reject it. They did not. They wanted their law and their works over the work of the Redeemer. The all-sufficient atoning work of Jesus Christ paid for what? Your sin and my sin and all of their sin through his shed blood. The Jewish people struggled to obey, and yet for some reason, if we go back to last week, there's still a remnant that is chosen by grace that will be saved. God has not what allowed his chosen people to fall into such unbelief or disbelief that they are unsalvageable. They've stumbled, but they've not fallen. As a matter of fact, as a result of their rejection, we will see in God's sovereign plan, their trespass means riches for the world. Their failure means riches for the Gentiles that we see in verse 12. Step back for a moment with this big picture. Only God, only God can do this. Only God can make beauty from ashes. Only God can take the disobedience of what the leader that he's put in place to still allow millions of people to be what? Offered fresh, cold water. Only God does work like this. Think, think of this. By grace, good still comes. By, by, by God's love, reconciliation still comes. People are still rescued. By God's grace, riches come. By God's grace, salvation comes and is made available to millions upon millions upon millions of people described with this little scene in Revelation chapter 7. Get a glimpse of this. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, not just one, from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You know what? It is a beautiful thing. I have a, you know that. I have a horrible singing voice, but I, I love to sing. And it's a beautiful thing to sing praise to God. And yet you gather all of us together, and it is much more beautiful. You gather all of us together, and we all, what, just stand and we lift out. And today I, I witnessed it. I closed my eyes, and I, and I just listened. Now, now you think about this. How, how wonderful, how beautiful it is for us to be together. Just, just think for a moment. It's hard to comprehend. You take every single church around the entire world and you join all of us together. And we lift up our voices 
and we sing. And it is, it is so beautiful because what? It's, it's different parts that are coming together. It's, it's people from different places, different backgrounds and different accents and different skin colors, different likes and dislikes, and yet with one voice. I'm going to be singing on tune. With one voice all together unified through the presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling us all what directed toward Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise, glory, honor, and power forever and ever. You realize here that there is a purpose even to the ugliness of rejection. Number two, there's a plan. There's a plan in place. There's a plan for reconciliation. For if the rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from death? Paul, Paul continues by saying basically this, that Israel's full inclusion at one point will actually bring greater blessing to the Gentiles. Now in doing this, he uses a term that at first, went, even when I read it, he uses a term that we kind of, my mom would say, you, you're crinkling your nose up. You know, you, like you read it and you're like, what, what is that? It's a term that we would crinkle our nose at. Where Paul says, I, I, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. Now this, this seems odd, like it really does not. Like this should not be here. We're in church and we're not supposed to be jealous. But it, it is truthful. And it's actually a very, very real thing. And we could call it this. Gospel jealousy. What you learned today about in church? I learned about gospel jealousy. Gospel, holy God, sinful man, absolute what? Separation. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are brought into relationship. That's gospel, and we live in such a way that Paul is saying what? That our lives are to make others jealous. Now, how does jealousy work? It's defined as feeling or showing envy of someone, of their achievements and advantages. To, to be jealous means to covet, and we know Exodus chapter 20, what? You shall not Covet. So what's Paul talking about? James actually says what? That, that, that this could be so grievous, he calls it a demonic envy. Jealous? I go back, in my, in my weird little world growing up, it was, it was all about sneakers. I mean, I mean, if you drove the right sneakers... And in my little, it, it began, and I remember going all, it was, it was, it was Converse StarTex. You, you walked through the hallway with a pair of Converse StarTex, and the, the crowd just separates. And you went from Converse StarTex to the Converse weapon. I was wearing weapons on my feet. Think of this. And you go from what? Converse StarTex to, to Converse weapon to Nike Air. Why? Because it's all about, well, who's wearing Nike Air? Bo Jackson. Some of you are too young. Who's Bo? Bo Jackson simply is the greatest athlete that has ever existed in the history of the entire universe. 
And he was wearing Nike Air, Air, Air Cross trainers. And so what? What did I have to have? I'm going to get some Nike Airs like Bo Jackson. And then it goes from Nike Air to, to, to Nike Shock. And, and you're like, well, that's so silly. No. Don't, don't point fingers at the 12 and 14-year-old kids. Same thing proves true with the truck you're driving or the car that you're driving or the clothes that you wear or the house that you buy. Same principle applies. At some level, we feed, we are fed on. Man, they got that and that's pretty good. I'm going to get myself one of those because they look awful happy. Now that analogy very quickly breaks down very quickly falls apart because one is style, okay, which is fleeting. And what Paul's talking about is a soul that is forever. Paul's speaking of the fact the spiritual riches of the Gentiles may actually serve to provoke the Jews to believe. That's Gospel jealousy. Now, we don't know for certain, but an example of this is probably what they say. This is probably what Paul himself suffered from as he was standing holding the coat while people were throwing stones at the head of Stephen. At some level... They, they say, like, Stephen, like, he's being killed in front of us. And he has such boldness. Like, what is that about? Where does he get that boldness? Where does he get that bravery? He has, he has such peace. His face radi- is radiating. With, in a sense of just overwhelming peace. At, at some level, they, they, Paul could have, have witnessed that. The same proves true for today. A life like yours that has been redeemed. A life that has been rescued by grace through faith in Christ alone. You have been given a place and a ministry. You have been given worth. All of your life you've been told what? You're no good. You're worthless. You're so dumb. You're so stupid. Why can't you be like until what? Until you are adopted into the family of God and you are given unbelievable value. You are a child, a daughter of the king. A son of the king. And not only that, the Holy Spirit gives to us a sense of joy in this life. Yeah, but the price of peanut butter. No, 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 no. No, yeah, buts. You, you have been given what peace the world is is on fire around us and there's a sense of settled peace in your life and and that is what that is one one life that somebody longs for or hopes for or wants this is paul's hope and prayer for his jewish brothers and sisters Finally, in verse 15, Paul returns to the main point, the the interlocking destinies of Israel and the Gentiles. Israel's rejection actually gives occasion, actually gives opportunity for the Gentiles to be reconciled to God, to be accepted by God. In a sense, a blessing to all of the nations. And then there's this phrase, what is this? Life from the dead. 
Well, some may think that it means a great spiritual revival of the Jews. Yes, that very well may be what takes place. I think it's more accurate to think that what? For any and all Jewish people and Gentiles coming to Jesus will be so dramatic, it's likened to the resurrection, which is what? The, the body was dead, cold, no breath, no life. And the spoken word of God. And color returns. And it's, and it's warm. And there's movement. There's what? There's life after death. That, that, that is what happens when the Spirit will breathe new life. Not only into the Jewish people, but I believe into the whole world's. As a result of the rejection of 0.2% of the world's population, 99.8% are given an opportunity. This is reconciliation that was and is offered to the masses. Praise God. You realize that, that unbelievers can be drawn to Christ through an attractive witness of the believers. You, you, you realize that? That your life ought to be, in a sense, what? It, it, it draws people. Tony Marita says this. The question we need to ask ourselves as Christians is whether we are deriving so much pleasure in Christ that other people want what we have. Pause for a moment by way of application. Think about your life. Do people want to hang with you? What is your face saying? What does the tone of your voice say? Is it constant, constant complaining and negative? Yeah, but. I, I kind of wonder. With the joylessness, the hopelessness, that people are constantly like, who wants that? I don't want that. We're to live a life understanding that what? Or like, is to be a magnet, to be a what? Sweet-smelling aroma. Drawing people. I'm not talking in a, in a showy, look-at-me attitude. Not, not at all. But what? Even in the midst of difficult times. There's a faithful, genuine, adoring life in Christ. A settledness, a peace in the good times or in the bad times. So much so, when people see you, just like the, the Philippian jailer, when they see you, they'll ask, what must I do to be saved? Peter writes of this when he says, what, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense Always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And do it with gentleness and respect. That's, that's what our love towards one another does. It draws people in. That's what our what infectious joy and contagious laughter, not, not in silliness, but from deep within, that's what our peace, that's what our gathered together to lift up our voices draws people in. That's, that's what our remembering of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. 
We celebrate. Think of this. We celebrate the death. That makes no sense. It does when you know what that death offered to us. That it was through the death, the sacrificial atoning work of Jesus on the cross that allows us to have the payment of our sins taken care of, to be paid in full. So we are justified, declared righteous in the sight of a holy God. You, you realize that part of the definition of who we are as a local church, we, we gather to, to sit under the preaching of the word of God. We sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs together, and we recognize, regularly remember until the, de- until the Lord comes back, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why what? In a crazy, busy world, and, and God saw this. Jesus knew this. That's why he sat with his disciples. And he gave them the ultimate object lesson. I almost don't like that phrase because it seems to reduce it, but that's really what it is. Whereas they were, they were seated, and they were worried, and they were terrified. Like, what's next? They just heard, I'm leaving. But Jesus said, I I want to show you something. I want you to to remember this. He took some bread, probably right off the table, unleavened bread. It was flat. And he broke it. And he said, I want you to eat this. Take a bite of this. And, And they all took a bite and passed it. And as they were, in a sense, smelling and tasting and feeling and seeing, Jesus said, that's a picture of my body. That's what's going to happen to me. And we know the very next day, he, he was what? He was stripped. He was beat. He was whipped. He was nailed. It says that as Roman soldiers were driving nails and taunting and spitting, that Jesus Christ himself says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. In a sense, what? Through their own rejection People were being reconciled. Not only were he given the bread to remember, but Jesus also took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out. And they passed around and they sipped probably from a common goblet, some wine. And as they took a sip and they passed it, he said, that's a picture, that's a symbol of mine poured out for you as you drink this. Remember. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, no forgiveness of sins. And he was, what, reminding them, hold on to this message. And that's why we continue regularly until the Lord comes again to do this. And that's what we do as a church. So let me remind you that we're going to do this as we pause every single month. Let me remind you as well that This is reserved, and I don't want to be rude in any way, but this is reserved for people who have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of of their life. If you have visited here today, we welcome you, but if you've not made a profession of salvation, then I want to very politely say, please don't take this, just like be cool next to the person, for the person next to you. Like, don't do that. It's a serious moment. But we know as well that it's, open to anyone who recognizes that they are a sinner, that we deserve separation and damnation, and yet God loved us so much he offered his own son. And when you acknowledge that in this very moment, in this seat right now, you can say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. I desire to follow you 
and honor you with my life, then I would invite you, please, this could be the first day that you remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. Please celebrate that. The elders, deacons are going to come and they're going to, they're, they're going to be at each station just so that you know. We're going to take a moment just to kind of quiet our hearts. And, and I understand that it gets busy and, and movement. And we'll just quiet our hearts in a moment. A prayer and confession. We need to ask for forgiveness for even the attitude that you had as you kind of rolled out of bed this morning. Ask for forgiveness for the attitude that you have towards other people. Maybe you have hurt you, forgotten you. Whatever it is, but thank the Lord for his unconditional grace. There's no sin, there's nothing that you and I could ever do that would be too far from God's forgiveness. That's what we celebrate. So after the, the guys will be at each station after a moment where we just kind of pray on our own, I invite you to go to one of these tables. There'll be bread and, and juice at each table. And then when you take that, go back to your seats. I will pray together to bless this. And we will celebrate as family and commemorate the Lord's Supper together.
thank you, my brothers, for serving us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we come into your throne room of grace in your glory, understanding, recognizing your sovereign authority, and we thank you that we can come boldly through the, the name and in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for this moment you have given to us as a reminder of how you've shown your love by offering your own son to suffer and die so we can rejoice and live. Father, I thank you for this bread that is a picture of the body of Jesus. We thank you for this cup that is a picture of the blood of Jesus. And as we, as believers, as your children, pause and take this as we taste it, as we hold it in our hands, as we see it, may, Lord, we be reminded the sacrifice that you have shown us and given to us so that we would offer our own lives holy as our worship to you. Help us, Lord, to live lives that are attractive to others, not, not showy, but a joy that is from within, a peace that's beyond explanation and understanding and a love that the world will know us by our love for one another. Thank you for this moment. <clears throat> thank you for this body. We love you. We thank you for our love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus, on the very night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this, do this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Not when he closed us. I believe it's Matthew's gospel that says before they left the upper room, they sang together. And that's what we're going to do. May the Lord bless.